If you would uh, pray with me, God, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to gather in your name. We thank you uh, for the great privilege of coming together to worship your name, uh, to sing your praises. Uh, we thank you for your word uh, that as we hear it read, as we open our Bibles, that we hear directly from you. And so as we spend time in it this morning, we pray that you would be the one who leads and guides us, that uh, encourages us, that shows us truly who you are and what you've created us for and what that means for us. Uh, we pray that uh, you would be the one who teaches us as we confess each week, we cannot do this without you. And so we ask that your name would be glorified, uh, that the spirit would move in this place, that you would teach us and lead us and guide us in all truth. And it would be for your honor and for your glory. And we pray all of it in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, years ago, uh, I went to a conference and I heard a speaker, uh, and he talked about, uh, he, he later on became, uh, one of my favorites and read a lot of his books, but it was the first time I'd ever heard him speak and he spoke at this conference and he talked about, uh, he kind of used this analogy of, of how much he liked going to the movies and part of the reasons that he liked going to the movies is he was a big film buff and, and loved, loved films, but also loved to see the uh, trailers, the the previews. And so he'd say, I, I would get just as excited to go for that because it would show me which movie I wanted to see next. And he said, you'd sit there and you'd watch and there's varying degrees of how good they are. Some of them would come on and it'd be a comedy that looked really funny and go, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I want to see that one or maybe I've seen this one and, and, and he'd go on, but he'd say, but then usually there'd be one trailer uh, before each film that I would be like really taken with. And he said, come on, it'd just be a really great trailer. Like had a good story and there were good actors in it and it was, seems well thought out and the, the story kind of grips you and there's action and comedy or what, whatever's your thing. And he said, we'd get to the end and you turn to the person you're with and go, we are seeing that. We're going to see that one, right? Like excited over the idea of what was presented and can't wait to see that movie. And so he talked about how he enjoyed that and loved that. And then he made this connection. He said, in a lot of ways, as followers of Jesus, that we are called to seek to create trailers for the kingdom of God. And, and I love the way he said that, that we're called to live lives of seeking to follow Jesus, to show what he's like, to show the world what he's like, uh, to show uh, what's coming in the fullness of his kingdom and I love the way he talked about that and thought about that. And I, th I think uh, Jesus calls us to that. We're actually going to see in this text we're going to look at this morning that Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And he's sending us and we're sent ones that are sent out into his creation. But also think of even the way he teaches us to pray, like in the Lord's Prayer, that on earth as it is in heaven, that he teaches us to pray that way, that he teaches us to pursue uh, God's kingdom and alerting people to the universal reign of God in Jesus. And so uh, when you start to think about that idea and the thought of that, like I, I do think this is something we're called to, but I also think it's something that we have the power to begin to show people. And it's not in us, but it's who God is and what he's done. Um, sometimes we think, or, or we talk in terms theologically of that we live in this time that God has placed us in, as, as people who are living in 2024, we're on the backside of the cross. Jesus has come in his first advent or his first arrival, and he has finished his work. He's defeated sin and death. And so Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is ruling right now. And so what we say is that we live in the already but not yet 
And so the already in the fact that Jesus has defeated sin and death, that there is power in his name, that we can have reconciliation with God, that these things are already here and his kingdom is being revealed. Now, the fullness of that will not be seen and come until Jesus' second coming, but we are called to be kind of this outpost of heaven right here now, alerting people to who God is and what he's like and what he has called us to. And so sometimes we refer to that as the already and not yet. And so today we're going to end the short series that we've done uh, just for the beginning of this year. We've talked about different habits uh, as I kind of phrase this as, as just trusting Jesus daily, simple habits that you can start to pick up and follow in your life that help us to see more fully who God is in our lives and to those around us. And so we've talked about uh, blessing others, right? Word, deed, gifts, just looking for opportunities throughout the week to bless people in your life. We've talked about eating with other people, inviting people into your home, into your life to share meals together. Uh, we've talked about listening to the Spirit, setting aside time in your week to, to be still before the Lord and seek Him and hear from God. And then last week we talked about learning Christ, that we want to always be a student of Jesus and following Him and seeing what that's like in our life. But today the fifth one, the last kind of habit we're talking about is this idea of being sent. And, and I'll talk to you in a minute about kind of the, the habit and what we're pointing to. But really, it's this idea of being sent into the world to alert the world of God's universal rule and reign. And he is reigning right now. And we get to be part of that. And simple habits that can help to alert us of that truth, but also to those around us. And so that's what I want us to talk about today and think about. And the way we're going to look at that is this passage in John chapter 20, where Jesus tells us that we're sent. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And I want us to look at this passage and think about this together. And as we do, the first thing that I want us to consider and think about together as we look at Jesus' words is that God is reigning right now and we get to be part of alerting the world to that. That's the first thing I want us to consider, that God is ruling and reigning right now and we get to be part of alerting the world to that. The second thing I want us to consider is just how that looks like. What does Jesus tell us here that it means to be sent in his name? And I want us just to think about some ways in which maybe we can be part of that and be active participants in trusting him in our daily life. And then lastly, I want to just challenge you with this last habit and give you some reasons why I think it's helpful and beneficial. But let's start with just this idea that God is reigning right now and we get to be part of alerting the world to this. And so just real quickly, background to this text where we are in John chapter 20. Uh, this is the evening of the first Easter Sunday, right? So Jesus was crucified early Friday morning. The disciples are in disarray and unbelief, disbelief of what's happening. They thought Jesus was going to overthrow the government, that he was going to be the king, that he was going to be ruling and reigning, and they were going to be right there with him. And then all of a sudden he's killed. And he's dead and he's buried and they don't know what's happening and there's bewilderment. But then Sunday morning comes and Jesus has these different times that he appears to some of his disciples. And the word is starting to spread that he's alive, that he's been resurrected. And so they're getting his disciples are getting these uh, these uh, reports and they're. Heads are spinning and what is happening. And here at John 20, even though they've heard some of this stuff, it tells us right here at the beginning in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, 
the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. That even though they've heard these stories and even though they're hearing that Jesus is alive and a few of them have seen him and they're talking about these things, they're still afraid. And they're still bewildered and they're still going, what is happening? It's totally exploded their worldview and what they thought the Messiah was going to be and who they believed Jesus to be. And they didn't understand that he would die and be resurrected and they can't get their heads around it. And so they're in this room with the doors locked. And you can understand why if you put yourself in their shoes. Their leader, the one that they were following, that they were part of, has just been brutally tortured and then killed. And so that would be scary that you're his followers and are they going to come after us because we were with him and all those kind of things. And I'm sure they were having those thoughts, but it's here that Jesus appears to him, right? And so pick up there at the end of verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed him his hands and his sides and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And I want you just to think about this as Jesus appears and they're afraid and they're bewildered and they're figuring it out. And the first thing he says is peace be with you. He actually says it twice. Peace be with you. And they're in the middle of this and this, this fear and all the things that go with it. And Jesus shows up and goes, peace. And I want you to think about what he's talking about here and the peace that he offers and what it is he can speak into their lives and their fears and their struggles and their frustrations right here and now. And so Jesus steps in and here he is fresh off of defeating sin and death. And he is the, the living, breathing evidence that that's true. And he stands in the midst of them and says, peace be with you. And I want you to think about the ways he offers us peace. I want you to think of that on on multi-levels. But in order to really get that, we need to kind of rewind and go back and get the big picture for just a second. Because the first thing that Jesus offers us and the most important thing and the core thing of who we are is he offers us peace with God. And that's what he's coming and saying. And that's right, I'm sure, on the tip of everything that he means. Even the context here tells us that because right after this, he starts to talk about uh, if you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven. He starts to talk about forgiveness of sins right away. And we'll come back to that in a second. But I want you to think big picture for just a moment that God creates the world and he creates everything in it and he gets to the end of his act of creation and he pronounces that it's very good. Right? He says it's 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 very good. And he's made us to know and to love him and then to know and to love one another. He's made us as relational beings in his image, but to know him first and foremost and to trust him in all things. But because God creates us as as beings to be loving and relational, he gives us real choices with real consequences. And so our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, it tells us in the beginning in Genesis that God sets them in his creation And he gives him real choices with real consequences in the way that they can operate and they can live. And he sets them up in the world. And there's this peace. There's peace with God as they walk with God. We get that kind of in shadows in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that they walked with God in the cool of the day, that they spoke with him, that they were intimately related to him in these ways. We also get that they had this wonderful relationship with one another, right? Genesis two and three says they were naked and unashamed. 
There was no hang-ups. There was no insecurities. There was peace. There was shalom. Everything was as it should be. But if you know the story of the Bible, what shortly happens after is they decide that they can live this life without God. And they ignore God and the world that he created. They rebel against him. God gave them one rule in the garden. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And really what that signifies is God saying, trust me for what is good. I have your best interests at heart. Trust what I'm telling you and everything will be shalom. It will be peaceful. It will be as it's to be. But they decide they can do it on their own. And as soon as they do, as soon as they ignore or rebel against God and the world he created, alienation comes in. Alienation from God. As sinful, broken people that are ignoring God, we can't have perfect union with the holy, righteous, perfect God. There's a break that happens. But then that starts to spiral out into everything else. And you see that immediately with Adam and Eve. There's a break in their relationship. What was perfect peace, what was perfect shalom, set as it should be, is no more. Instead of being naked and unashamed, they begin to hide themselves. They begin to point fingers. They begin to shift blame. It's your fault. You made me do it. And you see all those things start to crumble apart and suddenly there's no longer peace. And in our sinfulness, what we do is we invert God's good creation. Where he's supposed to be the center of all things. where We love him first and foremost. Love God and then love people. It's a summary of all God's laws. We invert that and we make it all about us. And suddenly it's in everything. It's like a disease that that spreads to everything. And the very core issue is that relationship with God. That our relationship with him that we were created for has been broken. But when Jesus comes in his first coming, which here he stands on the night after his resurrection and says, peace be with you. He's come to bring us back to that relationship. And he does so by living the life that we haven't lived. Dying the death that we deserve. Taking our sin upon himself so that our sin is dealt with. And then he gives us by his work, his perfect righteousness. And he clothes us in that righteousness. And we are now good with God because of what Jesus has done for us. We can now have peace with God. And so when Jesus comes into that room and he steps in on that night, And they've got the door locked and they're afraid. And he says, peace be with you. You now can have peace with God because of what I've done. Now, they don't understand all of that completely at that moment, but he means that. And he steps right into the middle and begins to say that. And he dealt with the core issue that's at the very heart of all the problems of all the world. And so I think. A helpful way maybe to think about it is, is kind of like uh, an underlying medical condition, if you've heard that before, right? Sometimes you'll have uh, pain uh, in your hands or um, neuropathy in your feet. You can't feel your feet that well, right? I don't know, some of you maybe have had that. My dad has that. And he, he walks heavy because he can't feel his feet in the way that it was designed. But it's not really an issue with his feet. It's an issue with his back, Because the circulation isn't right. And so now he's feeling it in his feet. Or sometimes that happens where we have problems with our lungs, but then we find out, well, our lungs are struggling and we're struggling to breathe because there's a problem with our heart. And the underlying condition is the heart. 
Well, the same is true of all sin in the world. The underlying condition is that our relationship with God has been broken. And so when Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you, he's fixed the underlying condition and what he has done for us. And he's come and he set all things right. And so he can begin to offer us to have peace. But then also, as we understand what Jesus has done and the peace that he offers us in his life and his death and his resurrection, that can then begin to spiral out that it begins to set all things right. Because everything else is a symptom of that underlying condition. And so when he says, peace be with you, the first place that we have to start is because of what he's done for us in his life and his death and his resurrection, that he has brought us peace with God and that we can be reconciled with God. But then also when he says, peace be with you, he's offering us peace in all ways and in all things, not just in our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. When we truly understand the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus, it begins to unravel all these things and it starts to show us the reality of how things are. And so as our eyes are open to see him and God takes his rightful place where he belongs back at the center of all things, that's radically humbling. But it also gives us a way and it gives us resources to actually forgive and love others the way we were created to. Because I'm no longer the center of the world. When I'm offended or when I'm struggling or when I'm upset or things are going, I can come back to God and find my identity in him. And then I can offer forgiveness in the way that he has given me forgiveness. And it begins to repair relationships. He's offering us peace, not only with God, but with one another. When we understand the fullness of what he's done and what that looks like, he gives us resources that are endless for forgiveness, for being selfless, for loving others in the way that God has loved us. And as we understand what he's done for us, that begins to do this work through all things. But then we could also say it also extends to the world itself. The Bible tells us that God's glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That his glory is going to be in fullness in all things. Right here and now, we live in that already, but not yet. We have the resources and the power. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, right? Romans chapter one. It's the power of God for salvation for us to know God. It's the power of God for salvation to repair relationships. It's the power of God for salvation of all of creation to set things as they were originally made to be. But we live in the not yet as we still have real choices with real consequences and there's still sin all around us. But when we come back to the gospel and we see who God is and we see the power of what he's done and the grace that he's given us, and we begin to live out of that, it has great power to heal the systems and the structures of the world. Now, be careful when I say that. That doesn't mean that in our power and our doing, we're going to bring heaven on earth. I believe that's coming when Jesus returns. And he's going to set all of it right perfectly and fully. But it does mean we can begin to pursue those things. In the power of the Spirit, making much of who God is, holding fast to the gospel, we can make real changes. We can create real trailers for the fullness that's coming. And we get to be part of that right here and now. 
the older I get, the more convinced I am that the answer to everything is the good news of who Jesus is, the gospel, the grace of God and what he's done for us. And I mean that personally. I mean, in relationships, I mean, in the world. In Romans 2, it says, don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And we get to be this opportunity to show what that's like in the world. And here's the really hard part. The world comes at you and goes, no, 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 it's power and we're going to take it. And the way that you make change is you take it from people and you force them and you, the, the person who's in charge gets to do it. And the kingdom of God goes, Jesus says, no, 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 my kingdom's the exact opposite of that. You serve and you love and you care for people. And in so doing, you show them what I'm like. And as the spirit moves, I change them. Here's the hard part. You get inundated that that's not true with the world. And it's easy for us as followers of Jesus to buy into that lie that we have to do it the way the world does it. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You trust me and you be sent in the way that I'm sent and you show people what I'm like in the way that God has called you to. I think there's lots of actual good examples of this happening. I can think about it personally in my life. When someone's ugly to you and you respond with grace, it goes way better. It's hard to be ugly to someone who's being really kind to you in response. There is power in showing grace to people. Maybe you've heard the stories of uh, in South Africa after apartheid ended. That there was so much struggle and pain and hardship and horrible things done in the name of racism and in all these ways in South Africa. And so they got together and they had these councils. Uh, Desmond Tutu, who was a bishop in South Africa, said the only way that we're going to get past this is through forgiveness. And he set up for these opportunities for people to come together in public and those that had wronged other people to confess their sin and ask for forgiveness and those people to extend forgiveness. And it began to break down walls and it began to build a community in a way that they had never had before. And there were still issues with it and it was not perfect, but you were seeing the already and the not yet of God's kingdom in this forgiveness when grace is extended and we trust what God tells us and what it's like. And so the truth is Jesus is already ruling and reigning. He's defeated sin and death. He is on his throne That is the reality that we live in. We live in the already and we get to be part of that. And so the question I want you to consider is Jesus calls us to pray that uh, on earth as it is in heaven. As he says here, as the father sent me, so I'm sending you. What does that look like? How do we live in those ways? How do we trust him in all these things in all these ways? And so look at what he says here. Jesus again said to them, this is verse 21, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I start to go, okay, so what is he talking about? What does it mean to be sent in Jesus's name? And you notice even in context here, the first thing he says is he begins to talk about the forgiveness of sins. 
I think that's because the core issue that all issues flow out of is our relationship with God that's been distorted and broken because of our sin. And that's the most important. That's the bullseye. That's the heart of all of it because everything else is a symptom of that underlying condition. And so he sends us in his name to proclaim the good news of who he is and what he's done. The gospel is is central and it's supreme. And that is true. And he sends us out in that way to make known who Jesus is and what he's done and how we can be reconciled with God, how our sin can be dealt with. By the way, as you read that, don't let this throw you when he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Does that bother anybody when you read that? Kind of sounds like he just told the disciples, you get to decide who's in and who's out. Right? Forgive who you want and don't forgive the others. But I want you to think about what they're sent to do. They're sent to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. I mean, just think about what that would look like. If you say to someone, you need to be reconciled to God because of your sin. You are separated from a holy, righteous God because you've rebelled against him in the world he's created. But Jesus has come for you and he's done for you what you can't do for yourself. And he's paid for your sin and he's offering you forgiveness and his righteousness. And they say, no, thanks. I think I'm a pretty good person. I think all roads lead to God. I don't think I really need Jesus' forgiveness. They're not receiving the forgiveness of Jesus, not because we're withholding it from them, because they've, they have not accepted the only way in which we can be reconciled to God. Right? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so we're not withholding it from anyone. It's not ours to withhold or to give, but as the proclamation happens, and as people hear the truth, they either accept or reject what it is that God is offering in Jesus. And if they say, I don't need forgiveness, then they're not receiving that forgiveness. And so don't let that throw you on it. But the important part here is that you see that that primacy of the gospel as we go out and we'll proclaim the good news of who Jesus is. But here's the thing I want you to consider, though. He says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And yes, it's the gospel. If you follow through the gospels, what do you get? Jesus goes and he preaches. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe. Come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's his message everywhere he goes. But that's not all that he does. What happens a lot of times, and it depends on kind of where you grew up or what church you're in, we like to skew it to one way or the other. That's why I tell you all the time, my professor's saying that I love so much, we want to land in the center of the biblical tension. And so the center, the bullseye, is the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done for us. I said this a few weeks ago. And it's good for us to be reminded. You'll hear people say, uh, preach the gospel wherever you go and use words when necessary. That is a lie. You cannot preach the gospel without using words. At the very center of what it is, it is a proclamation of good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And you can't preach that without words. 
You can't explain that. You still have to use words. But the fullness of what it looks like to be sent in Jesus' name and the way that Jesus is sent is it's not just words. It's not just gospel proclamation. It's living lives that show what God is like, that are seeking to alert of who he is and what he's done and loving everyone around us. Seeking to speak to the things that aren't good. Right? The core issue at the heart is our relationship with God. And everything else is a secondary uh, outworking of that. But that doesn't mean that we don't care about the secondary outworkings. We seek to fix those things and we seek to step in and help. And we seek to love people where they are all the while pointing them to the, the underlying condition is that we need Jesus. It's both and. And so what often happens is sometimes people will get really taken with the social movement of, of we've got to end racism. And by the way, as a Christian, you should completely be against racism. Every single person is made in God's image. Any sort of racism that puts someone down because the color of the skin or where they came from or where they grew up is a lie from the pit of hell. It's that simple. And so we are against racism. But we also recognize that racism is a symptom of ignoring God and the world he created. And so we want to do both. We want to speak truth to the things that are wrong. We want to step up and say, no, 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 we can't live that way. Not as people that are called into God's kingdom. But at the same time, we want to make sure that the gospel is primary. But what often happens, and I've heard people say this, well-intentioned. No, 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 all we care about is preaching the gospel. I go, yeah, but we also love the people and meet them where they are. Or then people go, no, 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 we just have to fix these social ills. And it doesn't really matter so much about the proclamation. It's like, no, it's both of those things together. And if we're sent in the way that Jesus is sent, that's exactly what he tells us to do. That's exactly the way he does it. Right? We've talked about this. Him, him spending time with the worst of sinners. And they go, why is he with them? He's spending a lot of time with prostitutes and tax collectors in the edges of society. And he's loving them and he's meeting them right where they are. And then he's calling them to repentance. It's both. And if we're sent in the way that Jesus is sent, we're supposed to be doing all those things. Even think of this, in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is in prison. You know the story, he's in prison, and he's wondering, well, if Jesus is the Messiah, and his kingdom's coming now, and he said, I'm like the greatest prophet, why am I in prison? I think, I'm editorializing here, but I think some of that was going on with John the Baptist. Like, how did I end up here? And so John says, go ask Jesus if he's the Messiah. He sends his followers, his, his disciples, and he says, go ask him. Go, go double check with him. And they come and they ask Jesus. And he says, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Do you hear what he says? Go tell him all the things that you see happening. I'm setting all things right. Blessed is the one that's putting their trust and is trusting in me. And we're called to be both sides of that. All of it. We're sent into the world to love people in the way that Jesus has loved us, but then to proclaim the reason that we're doing that. To make much of Jesus. 
I said this last week, but it's helpful to think this way. Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is dead. It's both. If you're just doing a bunch of good works to try to fix everything and exhausting yourself with trying to set everything in the right order and you don't have faith and you're not pointing people to Jesus, then it's for nothing. But the same is true if we just go around and we say a bunch of things, but our lives don't reflect those at all. Right? James 2, he says, what good is it then, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Do you hear what he's saying? You're not saved by your works, but a faith that is devoid of any change in your life isn't real faith. Saving faith will change you. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean that you get it all perfectly together and you're now the perfect person, but it does mean your life changes. But then listen to the very next thing he says. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, And lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them. Go in peace. Be warm and filled. Without giving them the things they need for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself. If it does not have works is dead. To be sent in the way that Jesus was sent. To follow him in all things. Is we're doing both. Now we understand that the gospel is primary. We understand that that is the symptom of all of it. That's why it has this place of primacy and we have to speak the truth and we have to point to who Jesus is. But we're seeking to live out all of that. And being sent in the way Jesus is sent is alerting the world that Jesus is ruling and reigning. And the fullness of his kingdom is coming. And we get to be part of it right now. And so I want you just to think about the ways that that can look. And I hope you see the connection of what we've been talking about. Blessing people. Getting up each morning and how can I bless the people that are around me because of what God has blessed me with? Blessed to be a blessing. I'm alerting the world to the blessings that I have in Jesus. And that might just be simple words of affirmation. It might be meeting a need. It might be giving a gift. But you're alerting the world that there's so much more to this life than what we see. It can be simple, small acts. I was thinking about this the other day. I have a t-shirt that I wear every once in a while. It's by, uh, it has the words to a song that I like a whole lot. And it just says, this morning is amazing and so are you. And it's by my wife's favorite artist in the whole world, Nick Cave. If you don't know who Nick Cave is, ask Joanna. She loves him. I'm just kidding. Joanna hates Nick Cave. So don't ask Joanna. <laughs> It's like the one thing I play in the car. She's like, can you please turn that? He's kind of foreboding and serious and sad sometimes. But in this particular song, he's not. And I love that line of this morning is amazing and so are you. And so I wear it every once in a while. And you know what happens almost every time I wear it? I'll be in the grocery store. I was in Kroger the other day. And the lady's standing next to me and she reads my shirt. She goes, I feel like I should say thank you because of your shirt. And I looked at it and I went, oh, yeah. I say, you don't have to thank me. You should thank God. He made the morning and he made you. And that's why both are amazing. And she went, oh. And in simple ways, you're alerting her to what is true. That creation is amazing. And it shows us what God is like. And that you're amazing because you were made in his image. 
that you're his image bearer in this world. And you get to alert people to that in simple ways. Speak the name of Jesus when you have the opportunity, but encourage people as you go. I read in a book years ago, uh, Bob Goff wrote a book, wrote a book called Love Does. If you've ever heard Bob Goff, he's like, he's got to be like the most encouraging guy in the world. If you've not read any of his books, just pick one up and read it and you'll be like, who is this guy? But in that book, he talks about a friend of his. He says, uh, every time I would go anywhere with this guy, like he'd walk into a public bathroom and he'd pick up all the paper towels that kind of missed the, the trash. He said, every time, everywhere he went, he'd pick them up. And he said, finally, after three or four times, I said, what are you doing? Why is it that you pick up the trash? Every time I'm with you, you pick up the trash in the bathroom. And he stopped and he said, well, I figure God has come to us in Jesus to clean up my mess. What better way than to show what Jesus is like than just to seek to clean up messes as I see them? I thought, that's pretty awesome. I know that's a really simple, small act and a small thing. But when somebody goes, why are you doing that? You name the name of Jesus. You're alerting the world that there's something more. That God is ruling and reigning. It's the same when we speak to anything that's going on. When we, we, we get involved in our community. Or we seek to serve. Or, or you go give of your time at the Oaks. I want to go over there and love those people well and encourage them and walk with them and alert them that God's ruling and reigning right now. The same when you help your neighbor. Whatever that looks like. And so instead of giving you a whole big long list and going, here's all the things that you need to do. If you've put your faith in Jesus, I trust that you have the Holy Spirit and that he's going to lead and guide you. So ask him. I mean, Jesus says right here. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm not only sending you, but I'm out equipping you and I'm giving you what you need and I'm sending you to go and to alert of who God is and what he's done. So here's the last part. The simple habit that I just want to uh, challenge you with. Right? So we've talked about bless and eat and listen and learn. And this last one sent, it's real simple. Each week as you go in your life, look for ways to alert the world to the universal reign and rule of Jesus. And as you do, whether it's something you get to do or something you see or something you observe or something that you notice, keep a list. Start to write down the ways that you see God's kingdom dawning around you. And I'm going to tell you why I think this is really helpful to do this. And I've done this at different times in my life. Full disclosure, I start reading about this and we go, hey, we're going to do this. And it's like, oh yeah, I got to do this. <laughs> I haven't been doing that. And I need to be reminded of that. And I think what ends up happening that's really, really helpful is you're reminded of God's movement and his faithfulness all around you. When you start to look for it and you start to operate in those ways, you'll be overwhelmed with how much God's doing right in front of you. You go, whoa. And if you keep a list and you start to go back, maybe it's a journal, maybe you write it down, maybe it's notes in your phone, and you go back and you start to look, it's really encouraging. It's really encouraging to go back and see all the ways that you see God moving, that you see the world being alerted to his universal rule and reign. And so start to write those things down. But then the third thing I would say to you is if you make that a habit, 
And you go, I'm going to write these things down and then you're not seeing a bunch or you're not. It's a challenge. Because God is moving and he is working and he has invited us into it. And we do get to be part of alerting the world to what he's doing. And so when you start to go, well, I don't know what it is and I haven't seen it. Sometimes that's convicting because you go, maybe I'm not looking. Maybe I'm not taking the opportunities that God's presented me with and speaking his name and doing those things and stepping into it. And so it's a reminder and an encouragement, but it's also a challenge. And so I just want to challenge you with all these. I'm going to, I'm going to end this series with this, saying this as we've gone through this. None of these things save you. I don't want this to be this legalistic thing that now I have to do this list and I have to do these things. We get to do this. We get to bless people. We get to invite them in. We get to know God through the Holy Spirit. We get to read God's word and spend time in it. We get to alert the world and see the ways in which he's working. But we're not saved by those things. We're saved by Jesus. We're saved by what he's done and we get to be part of what he's doing. And so that would be my prayer that that's our heart. That we would see it in those ways. Not as a burden, but a joy. Not as a to-do list, but an overflow of a heart that's changed for who God is and what he's doing. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you've done for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. We thank you that you invite us in. That you tell us that we are sent. We are sent in the way that you have been sent and we now have your spirit that we have been reconciled with you, that we have peace with God and Christ because of what you've done for us. I pray that we would live out of that reality. Give us opportunities to bless others, to eat with them, that we would set aside time to listen and spend time in solitude seeking you, that we would continue to learn your ways and seek to follow you whatever that looks like. Lord, alert us to the ways that you're doing these things and help us to see them. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have so much more for us in our life that you're calling us into. Give us eyes to see where you're leading and give us the courage to follow you wherever that is. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This is the time in our service where we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we do this every so often, but we try to have a time where we can just pause uh, prepare our hearts for this. And so this morning, uh, we're going to do a responsive reading of just a time of confession to help prepare your heart for communion, to remind us that it's not what we've done, but what Jesus has done. But as we come to the table and we're being reminded of what he's done for us, it's good for us just to pause and to prepare our hearts for that. And so uh, there's a couple of uh, responsive parts here. If you would respond uh, when it says all, Oh God, may the Spirit speak in me that I might follow you in all things. I have no merit. Let the merit of Jesus stand for me. Save me from the love of the world and the pride of life and from everything that is natural to fallen man. I'm going to ask you to take just a moment, the next 30 seconds or so, ask the spirit to search your heart, that he would reveal any areas of unconfessed sin. And as he does, acknowledge them 
and thank God for his forgiveness and what Jesus has done for us. So take just a few minutes to ask God to show you. Hear the assurance from God's word from Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So we get to now celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we come to the table, we get to come directly into God's presence because of what Jesus has done for us. And we're being reminded of this. And so as we take these elements each week, uh, I, I like to remind you that this is not our idea, but Jesus's. He's the one that told us to do this in remembrance of him in these ways. And so it's a visible, tangible reminder of what it is that Jesus has done for us. His broken body, his shed blood on our behalf, that he's done what we could never do for ourselves. And so the night before Jesus dies, he institutes this time with his disciples. The scriptures record it this way. When the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we come to the table, we're being reminded that Jesus has dealt with our core issue of our alienation with God that we no longer have because of what Jesus has done for us. And so if you're here today and you go, I don't know about that. I don't know that I understand exactly what that means or what that looks like. I would just encourage you to take this time to pray, to ask God to show you. If you have questions about what that means, we would love nothing more than to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus and to put your trust in him. But for those that have put their trust in Jesus and are following him and are seeking for him to be Lord of your life, we invite you to come to the table this morning and rejoice over the communion, the union that we have with the Father through what Jesus has done for us.